Hey, good morning, everybody. Isn't it great to see people's hidden talents? I didn't know Jeremy could sing like that. It was great. And to see Mike Olson, who's our facilities manager, manager playing bass, that's always kind of a double benefit, too. So it was great to be in worship together today. We're glad that you're here. You know, life is really a juggling act. You know, we have so many balls to keep in the air. Family, work, finances, school, church, and so on. It's just not easy. And just trying to keep up with the weekly demands of life, it just creates stress and tension that we feel in our minds, but also in our bodies. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Stress and tension may energize the mind and the body to actually get stuff done. You know, in fact, we actually need a little stress to give us that push to be more productive with the time that we have. I mean, I know I work better when there's a deadline, when there's some pressure to actually get some stuff done. So stress isn't necessarily a bad thing, but stress can morph into something not so healthy, and that's anxiety. Where stress might motivate us to take action, anxiety just settles into our brains and just spins. Anxiety is more than just a concern about the future. It's imagining a negative future. And we can put a lot of energy into our anxiety, can't we? But it doesn't solve anything. You know, where stress is something that usually is short-term and then it's over, Anxiety just keeps, it's that hamster wheel in our brain that just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. And unfortunately for us as parents, studies show we're passing our anxieties on to our children. Our teens and our college students struggle more with anxiety than any other demographic group. So this is an important topic we've hit on about how our faith can help us in this age of anxiety. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks, how our faith can make a difference. And we're using an acronym called CALM, C-A-L-M, to celebrate, ask, leave, and meditate. It's from Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing. And it's a reminder of the truth that we find in the passage that Jen mentioned earlier, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, part of which we read today. I'm really encouraging everyone to try and memorize that passage so that you can put it in your brain and use it to counteract the anxious thoughts that inevitably come your way. Last week we looked at the first letter, the C, for celebrate. We linked it to verses 4 and 5 of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice and celebrate because of the nearness of God. Celebrate the loving power of God over your life. When we remember that there's a loving God on the throne of the universe... Uh, not us, but a loving God, that awareness gives us a confidence where we can trust a known God with an unknown future. We can trust our known God with our unknown future. So the first part of God's antidote for anxiety is just to celebrate the loving supremacy of Christ over your life. Today we're looking at the second letter, the A, for ask. And it's linked to verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In every situation, pray. The second part of God's antidote for anxiety is prayer, because prayer is our response to the sovereign love of God revealed in Christ. How does that work? How does prayer actually help us to lower our anxiety level? You know, for too many of us as Christians, you know, prayer is this kind of elusive, very mysterious thing. Uh, we listen to other people pray and worship, but do we pray? 
Is prayer really a regular habit, a regular spiritual practice in our lives? Do we pray? And then do we actually feel the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds as Paul described? We're going to spend the next two weeks on prayer. And even that's insufficient because prayer is such an important part of the Christian life. You may not realize it, but there is prayer going on all over the world all the time. A lot of different ways that people approach the whole idea or the practice of prayer. In Tibet, they use these spinning wheels, the more the better, to attract the attention of the gods. In Japan, in the Shinto shrines, they clap hands to try and get the gods' attention. Light candles to gain the the, the favor of their ancestors. Ring bells to let them know the spirits that they're there. In Iran, carpets are carefully placed on the floor so worshipers can can pray in the direction of the holy city, Mecca, believing that geography determines the effectiveness of one's prayers. In Jerusalem, prayers are recited by the western wall of an ancient temple, believing also that its location just adds a little extra oomph to your prayers. All around the world, people are praying. Sometimes it just seems like this is hardwired into human personality, this desire to connect with something beyond. I mean, every religion that's ever existed has had some form of prayer. But often what has been practiced in prayer is very different than what the Bible teaches, particularly the teachings of Jesus. Prayer is something used to placate the angry God. Pray that the rain God will send rain, the war God will give victory, the fertility God will prosper the livestock. For most part, prayer is seen as a means of getting something, getting the attention of the the disinterested and very distant gods, to make them aware of what you need and then somehow hopefully persuade them to act on your behalf. And it's up to us, the worshiper. We've got to find the right frequency. What's the, the right protocol, the right technique? Do you stand? Do you kneel? Do you lie down? The right words, is it a magic incantation? The onus is on us to find this right formula to manipulate the powers of the universe. Prayer is just a means to get the attention of the divine and then to get the gods on our side. Jesus turns that upside down. To these ideas about prayer, Jesus would emphatically say, you've got it all wrong. You don't know who you're talking to. Jesus completely reversed the world's way of looking at prayer with one simple word. And we've talked about this before. It's the word that he gave his disciples when he gave them a model of prayer in Matthew chapter 6, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. It's a little word, that little word, Father. In other places, Jesus even uses the familiar Aramaic word for Father, Abba. Not a Swedish pop band from the 1980s, but the most personal word for father in scripture, Abba, Papa, Daddy. The word still used by Orthodox Jewish children for their dads today, Abba. It's that intimate, familiar word for father. It's a word of love, a word that richly expresses this relationship with God because we are dependent upon him like little children. We're free to run to him as children run to their dads. The Apostle Paul picked up on this in Romans 8.15 where he says this, You've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend how this caused such an absolute scandal in Jesus' day because no one talked about God the way Jesus did. No one talked about God with the sense of deeply personal relationship. 
No, God was a being to be feared and be placated, just kind of distant and mysterious, a being that only the priest could really talk to. And so that's why you need a priest to intercede with this kind of scary God. You need a priest to pray for you. You've got to get the professional, you know, the professional prayer to shake the rattles and say the magic words. To call on this awesome, fearful God as your Abba Father. It was outrageous. In fact, calling the way Jesus called God his Father was one of the reasons why people wanted to kill him. John 5, 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus was one of the first people on the planet to ever say that the sovereign God who created all things is like a loving, God, a loving dad who cares about you and seeks to nurture and protect you, like a good dad should. And I know that there are people who didn't have good fathers, but God is a good father. And in doing so, Jesus kind of flipped this whole idea of prayer on its head. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Abba Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Abba Father knows what you need before you even ask. He already knows. God knows you out of the billions of people on this planet. He already knows you, knows you by name, knows your story, your struggles, knows you inside and out completely thoroughly. There isn't anything about you that he doesn't know. No dark corner, no secret shame, no hidden temptation, no dream, no desire. God knows you. And amazingly, God still loves you. Even with all that knowledge, your Abba Father loves you. Loves you just as you are right now with an everlasting love. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He just loves because that's his nature. He created you, loves you even though your life is marred by sin. And it grieves his heart to see the pain and the heartache that you have to endure in this broken world. He sees your tears and your torments. He understands your frustrations. He knows your anger, knows where you hurt, and know how, knows how you've hurt others. He knows your fears, and he believes you're valuable. He believes you're worth redeeming. He loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. As Henry Nouwen writes, God loves without conditions, but he does not approve of every human behavior. People get confused about God's love. God accepts us totally, but that doesn't mean he endorses all human behavior. So he scoops up all our broken pieces, brings them to the cross where Jesus died so that we can experience forgiveness. And then as we turn to him, he plants his own self within us through the Holy Spirit. He lives inside us, begins this work of change, this new life, free and forgiven, new purpose, new master, new mission, to serve him and to share his transforming love with others who need it just like we did. And because of all that, prayer takes on a whole new meaning for the followers of Christ. We're not trying to wake up the heavens, hoping that some mysterious force up there might take an interest in our lives. It's our Abba Father who invites us to pray, who knows what we need before we even know what we need, who loves us uncontrollably. So Jesus not only invites us to pray, pray he expects us to pray. He wants us to pray. He gives us a famous trilogy of commands in Matthew 7, 7 where he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door shall be opened. Ask and seek and knock. Jesus wants us to know through experience that this Abba Father is not remote and distant. The desire of God's heart is for you to know him personally and intimately. God does not want to be a mystery to anybody in this room. God wants you to be connected with him at every moment of your life, and that's how prayer becomes one of God's tool for lowering anxiety. To pray in the way Jesus is talking about is to have your life infused with the awareness of God, to begin to experience his love and his power and his peace in every corner of your life, including your thoughts, the place where your anxiety lives. And so God invites us to pray. It is a great privilege for us to be connected with the source of all things, the glue that holds the whole fabric of the universe together. We're invited to pray. Prayers for our benefit, not God. God doesn't need us to massage his divine ego by telling him how great he is. We need to do that. We need to remind him, remind ourselves of his greatness. As I said last week, if you don't do that, then your problems are going to become bigger than your God. We need to share our hurts and our hopes and our dreams, our sins and our struggles. We need to do that so that we can experience acceptance. We begin to see things from God's point of view. This is how we tap into God's strength and wisdom. Prayer begins to fill your life with a new awareness of the presence of Christ. Prayer is actually very simple. Jesus just wants to talk. He just wants to talk with you regularly in an unhurried way. Richard Foster writes in his book called Prayer, he writes this, God is inviting you to come home, to come home to where we belong, to come home to that for which we are created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long we've been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration, fear, and intimidation. And he welcomes us home, home to serenity and peace and joy, home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy, acceptance, and affirmation. You see, Jesus just wants to talk with you. Prayer is simply talking with God like he's your best friend. It's an inner conversation where you begin to share your heart with Christ, share what's on your mind, tell him of your struggles and joys, your dreams and worries. Not because he doesn't know, but because you need to connect. Prayer becomes this two-way connection where you can then listen to how the Lord might speak to you about your needs and your situation. And, uh, Richard Foster goes on to say this. In prayer, we bring ourselves to God just as we are, warts and all. Like little children before a loving father, we open our hearts to make our requests. We do not try to sort things out, the good from the bad. We simply and unpretentiously share our concerns and make our petitions. We tell God, for example, how frustrated we are with the coworker at the office or the neighbor down the street. We ask for food and favorable weather and good health. In a very real sense, we are the focus of simple prayer. Our needs, our wants, our concerns dominate our prayer experience. This is the most common form of prayer in the Bible. Ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving and compassionate Father. There's no pretense in this kind of prayer. We do not pretend to be more holy, more pure, or more saintly than we actually are. We do not try to conceal our conflicting and contradictory motives from God or ourselves. And in this posture, we pour out our hearts to the God who is greater than our heart and who knows all things. 
Friends, prayer is to be a part of every day. It's not to be treated like your fine china, you know, that you only pull out once or twice a year, locked away in the cupboard. No, prayer is to be your everyday dishes that you slap on the table, drop on the floor, rinse and throw into the dishwasher. Prayer is for everyday life. Often we've compartmentalized our lives, so there's like there's religious stuff over here, and then there's real life. And we don't really know how to connect those two. We can't seem to bring the spiritual and the real life together. We fall into the trap of thinking, well, you've got to be someplace special in order to be close to God. You've got to be in church. But that's just simply not true. Jesus wants to talk with you throughout the day, doing whatever it is you're already doing. Just spend the day in the presence of God, doing things that you normally do, but with an awareness that Jesus is right there with you. Pray with your eyes open, especially while you're driving. You know, and while you're living your life, do what you normally do. You eat, you study, you drive, you sit in front of a computer, just like normal, except that you realize that Jesus is your constant companion, and he's at your side. The place to draw close to God is right in the middle of your everyday life. This kind of prayer means doing things we're already doing, but in a new way, because we're now including the presence of Christ. And so in the morning, when you get up, start your day with Jesus. You start off the day with prayer. Like it says in Psalm 5:3, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. You start the day with the Lord. But then it doesn't stop. Keep on having that kind of inner conversation with the Lord throughout the day. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, Paul says essentially the same thing that he does in the Philippians passage. He writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Well, not out loud, but throughout the day you learn to talk and have this inner conversation. You practice his presence. What a great phrase. You practice his presence. You learn how to experience prayer as an inner conversation with God throughout the day a running, ongoing, silent conversation with the Lord where you take prayer into your life and you realize that Christ has been with you all the time. Some of you probably know the story of Nicholas Herman. He was born in France in the year 1611. As a young man, he joined a Roman Catholic order, not as a priest or a monk, just as a layperson. Uh, he took the name Brother Lawrence, and most of the time he just worked in the monastery kitchen or doing cleaning and, and menial labor. But he came, became so well known for his dynamic experience of the daily presence of God that he received letters and visitors from bishops and other church leaders who came to him because they wanted to experience this kind of relationship with Christ. His collected letters on prayer are reprinted in the Christian classic, The Practice of the Presence of God. Uh, there's a more modern version called Closer Than a Brother that's one of my favorite books. I tend to read it at least once a year. Brother Lawrence understood this kind of daily conversational prayer, and he describes it this way in his book. The times when I am working and the times when I am praying are no different. In the noise and clutter of the kitchen, with half a dozen people screaming for different things at once, I can possess God and know the peace of God as truly as if I were on my knees at the altar rail. God is no nearer to me during my quiet time than he is in the very moment in the kitchen. Prayer is no more real when it is said formally on my knees at, by my bed than when I say it informally over the sink or the oven. I really can't wait until 10 at night or 7 in the morning to refer some vital matter to God. I need him too much 
and too often to be able to leave things until a particular hour of the day. God is present all the time. We're able to talk with him all the time. We can walk through the day knowing his presence. We can talk with him during the long nighttime hours. This is what this letter A is all about. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus is your closest companion, your guide, your friend, your counselor. The more we connect with Christ throughout the day, the less influence your anxieties will exert over your thoughts. Just like last week, there's an inverse relationship between prayer and anxiety. The more you connect with Christ through prayer, the less power anxiety will have over your thoughts. As Brother Lawrence says, we have grasshopper minds. We jump around from one thing to another. So it is hard to have this kind of discipline of prayer. So you might want to use some kind of a reminder to to remind yourself to turn your thoughts back to Christ throughout the day. Maybe every time you hit a stoplight or when you take your lunch break or set a reminder on your phone or when you change classes or put a rubber band on your wrist and snap it. Uh, Use simple reminders that will help you to invite Christ again into your presence so that he can be known to you. He walks with you throughout each and every day and he wants to talk with you. It's as simple as that. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I th- this is probably the greatest command, the greatest promise in the whole Bible. That when we turn our thoughts to you, Lord, you give us peace. I pray, Lord, that this week we'll experience that more than we did last week. That just a little bit more we'll turn to you in prayer and we'll feel that anxiety become less and less as we more and more turn our hearts towards you, Lord. I pray that you would give us that experience of your nearness just throughout the day in our, own, our, our, our daily activities at the office, at school, at home, wherever we might be. May we have an increased awareness of your living presence with us. And in doing so, recognize that you are guarding our hearts and our minds. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.